Coming up on this week's show, award-winning YA author Bill Koenigsberg is here to talk about high school students, labels, and being honest with yourself. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knaus. Welcome to episode 94 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willknaus.com. This week's episode is sponsored in part by viewers just like you. We'll have more information on how you can help support this show in just a few moments. I'm smiling because I survived jury duty. Yes, he did. <laughs> Uh, it took me the pretty much the whole week, but whew, made it by the skin of my teeth. I well, did not get chosen. You 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 had a day off in the middle of it too. Yeah, I know, which is frustrating. <laughs> they like, well, it's like the it's like you know uh, uh, you know you know you have to go back. You don't know if you're gonna get picked, and it's just like you know that that certain baseline stress level of you know. Whether you're going to be stuck doing this. If I had been chosen, this would have been a three-week trial. It had a relatively simple and straightforward schedule. I would only had to have gone in in the mornings. But still, that's, you know. No, I mean, it was it would have been a pain in the ass no, no matter what. It's a disruption. So, yeah. You, you got out of it a lot luckier than I did. So, yeah. So, yay for me. <laughs> civic duty done. S- screw that civic duty stuff. <laughs> Okay, so oh my goodness. What's, what's up with you? <laughs> my goodness. Uh, I started, I got the plot, the plotting done and started writing uh, Codename Winger 3 this week. Mm-hmm. And yesterday... Did it go well? So far, so good. good. First chapter's done. Good. Which is always, you know, getting past that first chapter kind of... Mm, yeah. To get going. Yeah. Uh, and then I was, while I was writing yesterday morning, I, I actually finally took the leap and experimented with something. Um, we've heard on our writing podcasts a number of times of people who speed up their writing, especially first drafts, with using dictation. Mm-hmm. And a few weeks ago uh, on the Creative Pen, which is you know our, our possibly our favorite writing podcast, mm-hmm. uh, Scott Baker was on talking about using dictation to write faster. And he's written a couple books about how to use Dragon Dictate, which is like the big dictation software that if if others are going to go this route they tend to go with dragon i am skittish about making a four to five hundred dollar investment between software and hardware because i would need to buy a, a cheap pc laptop because dragon works better on a pc than a mac and so i've been messing around a little bit with it on apple using apple's uh speech to, speech to text dictation did that a little bit yesterday it wasn't bad mm-hmm. talking my story to the computer. Um, I do. I did what you're not supposed to do, which is watch it manifest itself on the screen. But I wanted to make sure that if it screwed up, I could fix it and got, come back later and go, "What the hell was that supposed to be?" <laughs> but I did. A pr- I didn't do a timer, which was stupid. I should have timed to see how much I could do in a 20 minute interval because 20 minutes are my sprints. It seemed like I was generating. The low end of my sprint average. So, and I should be able to speed up now that I kind of get the idea. So, yeah. yeah. I'm intrigued. I'm going to keep messing with it, uh, especially this coming week while I'm writing. 
see what happens and see if I'm going to make the plunge into the full world of Dragon. Because I know there's stuff that Dragon can do because you teach it how you talk. And that'll get rid of some of the problems I see with uh, speech-to-text. It seems to have a hard time with possessives. Like, anytime you might go, it's Jeff's or... Uh, it, it for sure can't do it's if you say it's it has no idea if it, it if it's supposed to be with the apostrophe or without and if you do things like could have and you know ones that should have an apostrophe or something it gets a little confused so mm-hmm. but so far I'm into the experiment cool yeah good news um shall we talk about our patrons let's we love our patrons we do now you can help support the big gay fiction podcast with a monthly pledge through patreon for as little as 25 cents an episode your pledge helps uh, pay the cost of producing and distributing this show now for fans who pledge at the silver and gold levels you'll have the exclusive opportunity to ask questions of our upcoming guests and uh, this is a new addition all patrons have the option to have a personalized thank you from us sent to them directly Yes, indeed. We've sent a few out, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. You can get details on becoming a patron at patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at facebook.com slash biggayfictionpodcast and see what we get up to next. So I got some good reading in in the past week. Uh, I actually made my way through a couple of different novellas, which I would like to talk about right now. The first one is called Rainbow Sprinkles. Uh, it is part of the Dream Spinner States of Love series. It's by Anna Martin. Now, Rainbow Sprinkles is about a nice guy named Cooper who works at an ice cream shop. And uh, every day he looks forward to his customer coming to the window and ordering uh, a weird combo of flavors. Uh, but he always gets Rainbow Sprinkles on top. Aww. Um, eventually, he strikes up a conversation with his customer. Uh, his name is Drew, and he is an actor. He is literally Prince Charming. Uh, he works <laughs> as a prince at Disneyland. Uh, so they meet, and they go on some cute dates. Uh, Drew even takes Cooper uh, to Disneyland a couple of times. They have they have dinner at Blue Bayou. Oh, our favorite. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, and they get to know one another, and they and they kiss, and they cuddle, and, and they're very much into one another. Um, <clears throat> there is a, a slight misunderstanding that gets exacerbated by the fact that um, Drew has to go out of town because he gets a, a job on a low-budget movie. But in the end... Everything works out for the best. Um, I've read some reviews that um, knock this particular story for being too sweet. Um, uh, and it uh, it is uh, a very sweet romance. Um, and it is novella length. There isn't a whole lot of room for lots of angst. Um, I personally enjoyed it. I don't mind sweet stories at all. I really loved Cooper and Drew. Um, their their chemistry is 
very real and uh, frankly very sweet. Um, a quick note, I also really enjoyed uh, Alana, Cooper's best friend and co-worker at the ice cream shop. Cool. Um, so I really enjoyed Rainbow Sprinkles. Uh, highly recommend you check it out. A fast, cute summer read. Uh, the next book I want to talk about is Lace. This is the first book in Casey Wells's. That's a Wells's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> her Material World series. Uh, the first book is called Lace, and Lace is about uh, a nice guy named Sean and, and his best friend Dave. And one day, Dave sits Sean down, and he and he says that he's broken up his with his girlfriend. Because his girlfriend caught him flirting with a guy at a gym. Uh, Dave comes out as bi, and Sean is uh, all aflutter because uh, he's had a crush on his best friend for some time. So while they're kind of navigating this new dynamic with uh, Dave, you know, uh, coming out and exploring his bisexuality... Through a comedic series events, uh, Dave discovers that Sean actually enjoys wearing lacy underthings. <gasps> and, believe it or not, Dave finds that really super hot. So they begin a sort of a hot, steamy, lacy affair. Uh, and it's uh, cute, uh, amusing, uh, really enjoyable. I think the bulk of this book is really about how the two characters go from the friend zone and sort of navigate the waters of being a couple. Mm -hmm. I mean, because they, they've known each other an incredibly long time, and they do love each other, but it's how, how that dynamic changes that they kind of have to work their way through. Neither one knows what they're doing. Um, <laughs> and it leads to some interesting situations. Primarily, Sean isn't really sure if Dave likes him for him or if he's just turned on by the lacy panties that he likes to wear. There's an incredibly, an incredibly sweet scene, uh, and it's pretty funny too, where Dave takes Sean to a exclusive boutique and he gets to try on uh, lacy things a la like a, a pretty woman montage. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. It's really super adorable. Um, I really enjoyed Sean and Dave uh, an awful lot. I really uh, enjoyed them as characters. Um, it's also worth noting that I think Casey does a really terrific job of um, not a, not only exploring this character's journey, but the world in which they live in. There are a lot of really wonderful, really funny secondary characters. Uh, there's some dinner with parents and uh, all sorts of great stuff that's going on in this awesome. book. So I highly recommend checking out Lace. The second book in the Material World series is called Satin, and that is the next novella that I read. Um, Satin um, actually explores some of the same themes that Lace does. Um, but just because they're similar doesn't mean they're the same. Um, <laughs> this particular book is about Joel. He is a detective, and he's essentially on a stakeout at a nightclub. They're investigating some underworld bosses 
you know, shenanigans. Anyway, so he he's hanging out at this uh, intimate little nightclub with his partner. And every night he sees this one singer sing. Her name is Satin. And he, Joel is really drawn to Satin. She's a gorgeous lady, uh, has an amazing voice. Uh, eventually, the, the case is, you know, taken care of. The bad guy goes to jail. Um, and Joel uh, isn't willing to uh, stop his visits to this particular nightclub. So he goes back one night all by himself. And he sees Satin sings, and after the show, Satin comes over to his table, and they strike up a conversation. And it's only then, <laughs> when Joel sees Satin up close, that he realizes that Satin is not a she. Uh, Satin is a he. Uh, his name is Ross, uh, and he is uh, a singer uh, and a dancer, uh, doing everything he can to make his career work. Mm-hmm. So they strike up a friendship, um, uh, essentially the same theme as the other book, sort of uh, friends to lovers. Uh, in this particular case, Joel has to kind of come to terms with uh, his attraction to Ross slash Satin and what that means to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, eventually, um, they get out of the friend zone. <laughs> And they start dating. Um, uh, and like in the other book, there is a large cast of really well-drawn, really interesting secondary characters. Um, in this particular book, um, Joel is also working on a really big audition. Uh, he's a very talented dancer, and he's got a shot at getting into a prestigious ballet company. Um, uh, Joel... Uh, also ends up coming out to his colleagues when Ross fills in for a friend and he ends up singing as Satin at a retirement uh, dinner uh, for the uh, police department. Anyway, it's all really, really wonderful. Uh, I enjoy both of these characters as well. Um, So I highly recommend checking out Satin. Um, I think next in the series, Casey is currently working on at this very moment, uh, she's working on Silk. And if it's like the other two in the series, I'm very much looking forward to it. Cool. And we should note that we're going to have Casey on the show. That's right. In a few weeks yeah. to talk about this and, and some other stuff that's coming out this fall. Mm, can't wait. So that'll be fun. So I've read, and in this case, read slash listened, because I went back and forth between ebook and audio uh, with Becky Albertalli's The Upside of Unrequited. Which, can I just tell you, that's a bit of a tongue twister. Upside of Unrequited. <laughs> uh, as longtime podcast listeners know, I'm a huge fan of Becky's work. Simon and the Homo, Homo Sapiens Agenda is one of my all-time favorite books. Because it's just stunning. And it's being made into a movie! Ooh. Ah! Anyway. Uh, Upside of Unrequited is her second novel. And here we've got 17-year-old Molly, who is the main character. With her, She's got the point of view throughout the story. And she's got a twin, Cassie. And these two have lived a wonderful, happy 17 years, and then things start to change. Um, Molly has had 20-plus crushes in her life. He has 20-plus crushes, uh, many of which are lovingly and awesomely detailed in one of these chapters. It was great (laughs) hearing her tick them off. Um, And Cassie keeps trying to get her to just kind of go for one of them. Mm -hmm. Just go for it, put yourself out there, convert the crush into a boyfriend. 
Um, Molly, of course, at 17, you know, rejection's not exactly something that you want to deal with. Um, and she's also, she perceives herself as a fat girl. Um, and others around her occasionally reinforce that, of course, for her, which is, is not fun. Um, so she tends to stay back in the corner, lets, watches more things than she actively tends to participate in. But the sisterly dynamic all starts to change because Cassie falls in love with Mina. And at that point, she steps away from Molly, so the sisterly relationship kind of breaks up because Cassie is now more in, you know, paying attention to Mina, doing things with Mina. Mm -hmm. And while they do their best to incorporate Molly and hang out all together, there's a tension that kind of grows there because Cassie's no longer as open. Um, Mina also comes with a hipster boy named Will, who kind of fancies Molly maybe a little bit, but maybe not. And Molly kind of maybe fancies him, but she is more into her co-worker Reed, who uh, is, uh, <laughs> she can't believe this, but Reed is kind of into Tolkien and is a super fan of his and has season pass to the Ren Fair. So she's like, should she go out with Will because it's Mina's best friend? Or should she kind of go with Reed, who she's more drawn to? And on the whole side of all this, there's a big wedding getting ready to happen because this book is set uh, in the year that marriage equality became law across the land. And uh, Molly and Cassie's moms are now looking at getting legally married in their backyard. Mm -hmm. And so there's a whole wedding thing to deal with as well. Which, of course, also changes Molly's world a little bit because while the moms were moms, now they're going to be married and that, you know, once again, the paradigm changes. Um, Becky does such a great job with articulating everything that's going on with Molly from her very happy moments helping get the decor put together for the mom's wedding uh, to being happy for her sister, but yet not understanding why her sister's no longer as communicative to her about what's going on. Uh, feeling like she lost the person she could talk to about should she go with Will or should she go with Reed. Um, and her interactions with both Will and Reed are heartwarming and sad. And you, you just play all the emotions in this book. Um, I really, really loved it. I'm just like, it made, me, it made me all kinds of squishy reading it. Um, and I don't often read books about girls. So it was a nice sort of change of pace. Because almost all my YA is boy-centric. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was kind of fun. The uh, the audio is narrated by, I'm going to say, Ariel DeLeslie, perhaps. I got that wrong, sorry. Um, she did a great job kind of capturing all of this teenage girl uh, angst. And, but also did a really good job of voicing the male characters in the book as well. So, really pleased with that. Uh, pick it up, the episode of Unrequited, Becky Albertalli. And if you haven't read Simon, you pick that up too. Just saying. <laughs> but I won't go on about that book today. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, so, recently, this past weekend, we caught up on a few movies. Uh, just like the rest of the world, we finally went and saw Spider-Man Homecoming. So good. Uh, yes. Super... Super good. Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, a lot. took him took him what five Spider-Man movies to get it finally right in the sixth one. I think so. Because I, I don't think so. I don't think Andrew Garfield got three, did he? No. Okay, so just, yeah. Just true. number six was the magic one. Mm -hmm. Tom Holland rocked Spider-Man. Yeah, brought all that teenage boy 
kind of angsty, not sure what to do with himself, wants to do right, gets it over his head. I loved how he played it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that he's fully nested in the Marvel Universe now and not sitting off on his own somewhere. Um, yeah, I just... It was a breath of fresh air in the superhero movies, too. Because it wasn't all about blowing everything up. Now, things do blow up, as must happen in a superhero movie, but not every minute was blowing up and stuff. No. no. Uh, yeah, Spider-Man was really, really good. We also caught the premiere of Descendants 2 on the Disney Channel. Uh, second movie in the Descendants franchise, uh, where the uh, children of Disney villains try to make good. And uh, I like this one off awful lot as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the... The, the new story of, of now that they're in Arendelle and being all proper young men and women um, and chafing a little bit at, at not living the mm-hmm. lives they had before was was really well done. Um, I like the new songs. I like the new people that got added along the way with Mulan's daughter and Ursula's daughter. Um, there really needs to be a three. I certainly hope so, yeah. I think, yeah, they're doing really, really well. I think it's a really f- fun, interesting series. Yeah, and I love the new, um, two of the new dance numbers, the big dance fight on the pirate ship. They should just integrate that somehow into Pirates of the Caribbean. And uh, the big finale dance on the cruise ship yeah. yacht thing yeah. was pretty fun. A lot of fun. It's It'll be it'll be re-airing probably ad nauseum on the Disney Channel, um, so check it out. Yeah. Um, so during the summer television, um, downtime, you have been partaking of a certain program. Do you want to fill the audience in? Yeah. I mentioned a few weeks ago that I was, I was looking at the dance programs of the summer. Uh, I will say that world of dance has left me slightly underwhelmed. Um, some of the dancing is really good, but there's too much jibber jabber with the judges and looking at them, locking their scores and... (laughs) I could watch that show in about 15 minutes. <laughs> um, the pleasant surprise back has been So You Think You Could Dance. Um, I did not appreciate the departure of format to do with the kids last year. Uh, the season before that, uh, despite some really good dancing, the show had kind of got a little tired, I think. And they've revamped a little bit. Uh, Vanessa Hudgens is in as a judge this year. Um and we've got all-stars coming in and mentoring dancers in Academy, and then they will go forward with one dancer and dance the show, which is a little different than previous years. So I'm, um, I feel good about this slight format change. I've enjoyed the shows. I actually haven't sped through as much of the audition at even Academy as I usually do. So I'm hopeful that once they get to live shows, which I think is in two more weeks, I think there's two more weeks of Academy, um, I look forward to seeing how they how they make this work, and I hope season fourteen may not be the last. We shall see. Fingers crossed, man. <laughs> now, recently, you talked to Bill Koningsberg, another one of your absolutely super duper favorite YA authors. Yeah, Bill, with Out of the Pocket years ago, became one of my major influences for my mm-hmm. writing of Hat Trick, and has stayed. Uh, particularly for when I write YA books, um, one of my major influences and uh, someone I, 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 I want to emulate his success and the kind of stories that he tells. Uh, so it was a real treat to get to talk to him. You might remember earlier this year, 
uh, when honestly Ben came out that I kind of raved about that book and how it was the sequel to one of my other favorites, which was called Openly Straight. Uh, and it was great to sit down and talk to Bill about these books. It's his first time to do a sequel, so I want to know why he chose to do a sequel here. Uh, and some of the controversy that's actually come up around uh, Honestly Ben. Um, so it's a really good interview, and shall we listen? Yes, let's. Today I'm welcoming Bill Konigsberg to the podcast. Bill is an author of young adult novels. His first three, Out of the Pocket, Openly Straight, and The Porcupine of Truth, have each won major awards, which is something he thinks about mostly when he can't seem to write a sentence. In addition to writing, Bill's an assistant professor of practice at the Piper Center for Creative Writing at Arizona State University. Bill lives just outside Phoenix with his longtime partner Chuck, and they have two Australian Labradoodles who complete them. His latest novel, Honestly Ben, was released in March 2017. Welcome, Bill. Thank you so much. It's nice to nice to see you. Nice to be here. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you uh, and, and to talk about uh, Honestly Ben in particular and, and probably some of your other works as we go along as well. Sure. Um, so the spring release of Honestly Ben, uh, for folks who don't know, continues the story of Ben and Rafe uh, from your 2013 book, Openly Straight. Now, for listeners who may not be familiar, and all of them need to be, <laughs> tell us kind of the arc of these books and what the story is about in total. Sure. Uh, the, the Ben and Rafe saga began in Openly Straight, and, and Openly Straight is the story of Rafe Goldberg, who is a boy from Boulder, Colorado. He's an out gay boy. His situation is very good. He has very liberal parents. He lives in a very liberal place. His, he's out and comfortable. He's on the soccer team, no problem. But he's tired of being the all uh, the, the gay kid and having that label uh, follow him everywhere. So he basically recre he, he decides to go across the country to an all boys boarding school where he's going to reinvent himself uh, without the label gay. It's not that he's going to go in the closet. He's just going to not talk about it. And that's the premise of Openly Straight. Uh, but probably the thing that's most noteworthy or memorable for most readers about Openly Straight is the relationship he has with a boy he meets named Ben Carver. Uh, and Ben is a straight boy, and they become fast friends. And Rafe starts to have feelings for Ben, and the friendship deepens, and it's this bromance. And even for Ben, the bromance starts to become... Uh, more than uh, physical, more emotional. And, and so the two fall in love as only a quietly or secretly gay boy and a mostly straight boy can. And because Rafe hasn't talked about things to Ben about what he's done, it blows up. And so that's how the book, well, the book ends in a lot of ways, but the relationship ends not so happy. And a lot of my fans... Uh, were really upset about the way that the romance ended. So I picked it up with Honestly Ben. I, I had never expected to go back into that uh, relationship. Openly Straight is about so many other things, and to me it's about Rafe. Uh, but really, the fans wanted it and they got it. And, and uh, the book picks up exactly where the relationship uh, left off. And it's the difference is it's from Ben's point of view. And so... 
we get the, the point of view of a boy who grew up on a farm in New Hampshire. Uh, he's a scholarship kid at this rich school. He doesn't feel like he fits in. Um, and frankly, he's straight and confused because he's never had feelings for a boy before and suddenly has these strong feelings for Rafe. And the question is, where does that go? And it goes somewhere in the book. I, I don't want to give anything away, but, yeah. you know, then the book happens. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we don't, we don't want to do spoilers. Was it just the fans that brought you back to the to the story, or did you did you as a writer feel that you had unfinished business with Ben? You know, the the, the truth is that it it was about ninety nine point nine percent the fans. I mean, I, I we all have favorite books of ours, and and Openly Straight is certainly probably my favorite book or one of my two favorites of mine. Uh, I like that book and I stand by it, and I never thought, boy, I have to go back and I have unfinished business with Ben. I figured, I didn't even see it as an unhappy ending. I just figured things happen after that. Uh, you know, but really the clamoring was loud. And, you know, I had, uh, just so you understand, uh, when I started to hear from fans about wanting that, I just assumed the answer was no from the publishing house because I had wanted to write a sequel to Out of the Pocket and uh, Penguin, the publisher of that book, basically laughed at me. They're like, no, thank you. We don't want that. Uh, so I assumed that nobody would want this. And when I mentioned it to my editor, uh, you know, I said, well, would you be interested in a book from Ben's point of view? She just about jumped out of her chair. and She said, absolutely, please write that now. And so it wasn't really my choice. But, uh, I, I, you know, it was a very interesting thing to write a sequel for a book that wasn't supposed to have a sequel. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And, and as a fan of Out of the Pocket, if you ever want to write that sequel, party of one right here that'll take it for sure. Yeah, really. <laughs> you know, I write it. I wrote a book with another character um, where Bobby shows up uh, in, in another character story, and that book actually was supposed to be my second novel, but uh, Penguin bought it. It wasn't a sequel, but it included another character, and then they canceled it. So. Oh. <laughs> Fingers crossed that'll see the light of day someday. That's someday. <laughs> now, at the end of March, and hopefully talking about this, we're not going to verge too close into spoiler territory, but you did a blog post about a message you got from a reader discussing bisexuality and how it's not a label that Ben puts on himself really right. throughout the whole book. Right. Uh, and, of course, there's all this talk... In the at least in the romance genre, of course, of gay for you, which is some people's not favorite trope, right? Because of what that, how that is essentially, you know, by erasure at some point. Mm -hmm. But then I also it brings up, I think, the way certain young men can feel about. I've always thought I was a straight, but now I have this, and what does that mean? And I think it ties nicely into the whole story that bridges these two books about labels. Right. Um, where do you stand in all that? And, and how do you think this whole thing with the book kind of sorted out? Did you get more email about this as, as the book's been out? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I've gotten, uh, the vast majority of the feedback that I've received on the book has been really positive that, uh, people have really seemed to connect to the book, uh, fall in love with Ben, believe that they are Ben, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's, and that's beautiful. Uh, 
I have I, I got that email about uh, calling saying that I had uh, engaged in bisexual erasure, and I have I am aware of but not terribly familiar with the fact that on Goodreads there are uh, quite a few people who are upset with me, and. I have a lot of feelings and a lot of thoughts about this. Um, uh, I'll tell you in general what I think. Um, I, I think that, that bi bisexual erasure is a thing. I think that I can, I can understand a person's frustration uh, with feeling erased. I think everybody wants to feel uh, represented in literature. Uh, the thing that I don't fully understand um, is the need for books to be correct uh, and have the correct answer. Uh, ben, to me, has his own experience. Ben is a boy who believes that he is generally straight and labels himself that way, though he has feelings for another boy. He's not in denial. He's just experiencing things the way he's, he experiences them. Um, and, and, and the thing that I, I take, I don't want to say I take offense to, I just disagree with, is the idea that Ben has to, you know, kowtow to what somebody else wants him to label himself. In fact, that's what the book is about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the book is about uh, different paths. And, and, and I will admit that I didn't understand what you were talking about, about this uh, in the romance genre, about the issue of gay for you or whatever that is. I, I don't read that genre, so mm -hmm. I was not familiar with that. Uh, so just like Ben, I thought I was creative. Uh, just like Ben, and Ben has that experience. He didn't read that genre. He doesn't know the politics of that. So, right. is okay? <laughs> and as a young man, he even if he did read it, he may not know what to label himself. Right, right. And, and, and who is to say, in the end, um, that everyone's experience must be the same? Uh, you know, I, I think... I have one further thing that I'd like to say about this, uh, and, and it has to do with the volume of, of what, I, what I'm seeing now when people are upset online. Uh, I've seen it happen much worse to other authors and other, and other people. I, I'm not complaining for me. I, I, I haven't had it yet. I'm sure at some point I will. Um, I think we need to tamp down our anxiety and anger uh, when it is based on something that there's a difference between a microaggression. Do we know that term? Do you understand what I mean by microaggression? I'm going to say no. Okay, good. I'll explain. <laughs> uh, so a microaggression would be like, like heterosexism is a microaggression. So I've talked about that in a lot of my books where that's when hetero, when homosexual people are basically erased uh, because everyone assumes that everybody else is heterosexual. I've dealt with that my entire life. Um, that is difficult and, 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 it, and it is upsetting. However, it is not the same as a hate crime. And, and I, I get this sense that people get so angry about things that I think, I, I, I feel like we're missing the forest for the trees sometimes, mm -hmm. that, that like we should be talking about microaggressions. Microaggressions make other people feel bad. Um, however, uh, they don't kill people. Uh, they're, they're, not, they're not the same as violence. And, and I'll get in trouble for everything I'm saying here, but this is how I feel. I, I feel like we've gotten a little bit too sensitive. And uh, bisexual erasure is a real thing. 
uh, and it's something that we ought to be talking about. Uh, but you know, calling me names and saying I'm the worst person in the world because of this feels extreme to me. Yeah, I would agree with that. As as somebody who reads your work and reads romance and and writes in romance, I think I think you created an honest character with Ben. I hope so. And I don't think. I don't think bisexuality is erased there at all because it's it's a it's a, a seventeen or eighteen year old boy going. I liked girls. I still do. I like Rafe. It's like I don't know. I don't and know. you know, five years from now, he may call himself bi and be perfectly happy with it. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, it's not a final answer. It's the answer at the end of a book when he's had an experience. Um, and, and the thing that I'm decrying is this need for us to have the correct answer at all times, uh, as mm-hmm. if the purpose of art uh, is instead of to create real people in real situations, it is to educate people to the correct way of thinking. Um, I, I really have a problem with that. Yeah. So, And I, I think you just, I think you, you, you phrased it really nicely right there with that last bit. It's like, yeah. that's what art's supposed to do. Yeah, it's supposed to make people mad. <laughs> Maybe not always bad, but yeah, <laughs> certainly at least wake up and, you know, have a different point of view. It's exactly, yeah. Yeah. Now, you crafted Ben, I think, the way that so many teenagers are today with all this stuff just piled on top of him. He's got school and baseball. He's got this major speech to give that probably sets him up in a scholarship for college. He's got this thing with Rafe as well as a girl uh, that he's been going out with. And like I told you before we started recording, I found myself getting very stressed for him. (laughs) What do you hope that young men or, or young people in particular take away from this book as it may correlate to their reality? I, I think the, the main thing that I want people to connect to from reading this book is the difference between what we want for ourselves and what other people, what, what other people want for us. Um, I, I, I know that that's something that every teenager deals with, and there's, there's never been a more stressful time to be a teenager. Uh, there, there is so much pressure and the stuff that you and I, we're different ages even. So let's say I'm older than you. Um, when I was a kid, it felt like college and getting into college was pressure filled. It's nothing like it is today. And it's, it's so, it's so tense. We all get to make decisions for ourselves and we all are individuals and you know, who our parents decide we are is just one thing. You know, so I want I want people to be able to at least individuate uh, between what others want for us and what we want for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's it's so hard to do. Yeah, these days, whether it, it's parents or peers or guidance oh, counselors or oh yeah, and 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 it becomes part of our identity. I mean, first of all, when we're teenagers, what our parents have thought of us and have made us, uh, it feels like a big part of our identity. So it's hard to divorce that from our own identity. Mm-hmm. What's the common thing that you hear from young people uh, when you go and visit them, whether you're on a book tour somewhere or a couple of years ago, you also toured, I believe it was under the Trevor project perhaps. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. What are you hearing from them about like what's in their life and what their struggles, you know, are these days, whether it's straight teens or LGBT t- t- teens, that's a tongue twister. <laughs> Yeah, Um, a lot of things. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is that 
the, the among LGBTQ youth, the the thing that is going on the most right now is about gender. It, it feels like that's the big issue that for a lot of people now uh, who are growing up, uh, being gay isn't nearly what it was when I was coming out. First of all, everybody knows what gay is, uh, you know, and, and that wasn't the case when I was coming out when I was growing up. Uh, gender seems to be, uh, I would say that transgender, transgender issues is sort of uh, the same as what coming out as gay was 20 years ago or 25 years ago. So, so that seems to be the new frontier uh, as far as I'm concerned, and especially about that gender fluidity. Mm-hmm. everyone's talking about that and it was interesting to learn about that uh beyond that i mean i think i think teens are teens you know and, and i think that uh there are new pressures on them that that those of us who are older don't understand uh that come with living lives that are 24 7 online and social media <laughs> i not i feel really bad for people who are growing up now because uh, you know when we dealt with bullying when i was a kid you go home and you get to escape from it uh, now it just follows you around. So, mm-hmm. you know, I hear a lot about that. And, and I hear a lot of people who are connecting to YA books also. You know, a lot of people are, are really glad that there are books that, that are such a variety of books that they can find somebody in the book that they relate to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, it's why I like seeing the, the YA stuff just continue to grow and expand its readership and you know, that the books like Becky Albertalli's, you know, Simon and the Homo Sapien Agenda is on its way to being a movie now. I know. Which is just tremendous. That's awesome. Uh, now, shortly before, honestly, Ben came out, you released this short story that kind of bridged the two books called Openly Honestly. Right. What was the idea to kind of build this nice, nice little morsel to get everybody ready for for honestly Ben, did that come from your editor or was that from you as like, let's do this little thing in between or. It was really from my editor, but as soon as she said it, I loved the idea. I, I, I mean, I just thought it would be fun to go back in and frankly, uh, it's a long time since 2013. So, you know, while my book openly straight has gained readership every year and people are still reading it as if it's new, there are a lot of people who are going to be reading uh, we were hoping to come back after four years. So to get people back into that world felt really important. Uh, and, and the point of the book, you know, some of the, it's funny that I get uh, reviews that show up uh, about openly, honestly, and people say, well, it's nice, but nothing happened. I'm like, yeah, that's what we intended. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just sort of like a, a book that gives you a sense of these two characters who are going through parallel things over Christmas break between the two novels, you know? Trying to make sense of a relationship. I don't know. I kind of the the extra thing I took away from it coming into honestly Ben was that it was really the first time you got a up close look at Ben's home life. So you knew what he dealt with before you got into honestly Ben when he was back at school. Exactly. So so that's right. That was new, uh, which isn't a plot point. I think that's sort of what I mean is that people are like, True. you got these two characters. There's no plot, um, but. Yeah, so we had to go, and that was important to me. Uh, I actually had to go visit. Uh, ben lives, uh, comes from Alton, New Hampshire, and I picked that when I was writing Openly Straight six years ago by looking at Google Maps. Like, I had no idea. I just 
where is he from? I don't know. He's from Alton. Okay. Uh, so I had to go. I booked a flight and went out there and spent some time on a farm in Alton because that's where he grew up, on a farm in Alton. So it was fun to kind of learn this new world and then to try to explore it from a character who lives there. That's very cool that you went. I like that. That was neat. So tell us about the teaching that you do and, and what it's like to guide and teach other writers. Well, it's fun. Uh, you know, I, I teach in a program that is uh, geared to helping uh, people who want to write young adult books. Uh, I will let you know uh, I'm, we're not advertising it anymore because after this year it's going to come to an end. Uh, so this program won't be around next year. But for the past four years it's been around. It's a year-long program, and it's been wonderful because – this process of, of learning how to write a novel is very, very exciting. You know, it's, it's very difficult to do uh, and to be able to be there to watch people go through the struggles and then be there for the breakthroughs has been uh, a beautiful thing. I assume what I will do is make myself available for one-on-one -on -one mentorship uh, by application uh, with, with people who want to write in the future. I, I assume that's what I'll do next. Although, who knows, maybe I'll teach somewhere else. That's very exciting. Uh, any, what would you say your number one piece of like advice or guidance is for people who want to dive into that genre as a writer? What's your free advice, one piece of advice for the audience, I guess is the other way to put that. <laughs> well, I mean, the, 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 the basic free advice is that the hardest thing about writing a book is writing a book. And so the most important thing is that you sit down you sit your butt in the chair and you write. And when you get stuck, uh, that you don't go back to the beginning. You keep moving forward. That, uh, that the point of a first draft is to survive the first draft. Because once you have a complete manuscript, then you can figure out what it is. Um, and so really just write, move forward, go. Yep, I would, I would absolutely agree with that. What inspires you to write the stories that you go after and decide to turn into books? I think the, the most, you know, David Levithan did such a, a beautiful job. He introduced me at, at an event last fall and he said something that I hadn't thought of, but I so appreciated. And what he said is that, um, you know, as an editor at Scholastic, you know, they do some work with the, they have to think about how to talk about an author and the books they write and that I do it, I help them out by giving them index words in my titles. And so he pointed out, out and out of the pocket, openly and openly straight, truth and porcupine of truth, honestly and honestly Ben. And I really appreciate that and it gave me some clarity. Um, my books are about finding authenticity and, and clearly my way of going into that is as a kid, as somebody who grew up gay in a straight world. Mm -hmm. and now the story is how do I keep doing that in a world that's changed? Because, you know, gay kids are going through very different things than, than I did when I was growing up. So what other places do, do questions of authenticity come into their lives? Like in Ben, where he's trying to figure out, you know, one of the issues I bring up in Honestly Ben is uh, he, he hears about something called left-handed paths. And the idea is that most people in the world are on a right-handed path, which is conventional. You stay between the lines, you move forward. Uh, other people, uh, creative people sometimes, uh, 
wind them wind up on an, a left-handed path, which is one that isn't where society necessarily wants you, because society is more comfortable uh, if people stay within their areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, this is a book about like what happens if you live on a if you work on it if you are. Uh, on a left-handed path in life. How do you do that? How do you find your authenticity when the world would prefer you not to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good message overall to, to carry through. And it, I, I agree. I can see that kind of resonating through, you know, your various works where finding that authenticity is is the important key. I think so. And 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 I think you know, as I've gotten older, that hasn't changed. It's 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 like a lifetime job. How do you stay authentic in a world uh, that is more comfortable if you just sort of <laughs> yeah. don't express yourself all the time? <laughs> yeah, everybody wants the easy label and the box and the the thing. Yeah, uh, that's that's definitely a theme through story in my life. What are you reading these days that you would recommend? <laughs> oh, that that means that I have to think about remembering the books I've just read. <laughs> um, I just read a book by somebody named Stacy Lee uh, called Outrun the Moon that was actually about the San Francisco earthquake in 1906 uh, uh, from the point of view of a young Chinese woman. Uh, and it's that sounds a little heavy, and it is heavy, but it's also really fun and smart and interesting. I loved that book. Uh, I also really liked Michael Grant, uh, Michael Grant's book Frontlines, which is a, a revisionist history. It's basically about a what if, like what if uh, girls fought combat in World War II. Um, it's really interesting. So I'm reading. I mean, I, re- I read diverse stuff. I, I'm uh, not in the box of reading. Anymore, I used to read every LGBT title, and now I'm sort of like, well, only if it comes to me. <laughs> I don't reference them anymore. So that's good. It, 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 I think wide read for a writer is important. I think so, yeah. and, and I think there are a lot of stories to be told. So I'm interested in reading about. Uh, I'm really interested right now in finding a good YA book that happens in another country, like taking a journey somewhere out of my zone would be cool. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm interested in these days. Different stuff. What's coming up next for you? Uh, there's There's been Facebook posts about something called the music of what happens. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us anything about that and what else might be in your future? Sure. I'm, I'm working hard on the book, The Music of What Happens, which is basically the story of uh, two teen boys in Mesa, Arizona, who uh, meet while running a food truck one summer. And uh, one of the boys, basically, if, he, if they can't make a certain amount of money in about a month, one of the boys is going to lose his home uh, because of his mother. Long story. Uh, and it's basically that. It's a love story. Uh, and it's also about... Um, resilience and vulnerability, which is to say one of the characters um, is kind of a dude bro and uh, openly gay and comfortable but not comfortable with feelings. And the other boy is um, openly gay and does not feel confident about his ability to 
do almost anything. So he needs resilience. The other boy needs vulnerability. There's a novel. Interesting. Yeah, I hope it is. Projected date, I'm guessing 2018 or 19, probably. 19. I think it's 19. I, I, I mean, I need to finish it first. So yeah. I'm, I'm a 200 pages in, but it, it needs some, some work, needs some loving. <laughs> yeah, I understand how that goes. That's exciting. I look forward to it. Thank you. Uh, and what's the best way to keep up with your work online? Uh, you should, uh, anybody who's interested should go to billkonigsberg.com. My website is a blog. Uh, you can subscribe so that you see any updates, any blog updates. So, um, you know, that's where I'm best located. And Facebook, of course. I, I'm always on Facebook. Cool. We will put a link to those places in the show notes along with links to your books. And encourage people to go get them because they're all kinds of awesome. Perfect thank summer you. reading. Yay. Perfect summer reading. <laughs> hope so. Uh, Bill, thank you so much for joining us and hanging out for a little bit. It was a, it was a pleasure. In Somewhere on Mackinac by Jeff Adams, Jordan Monroe travels to Mackinac Island for the Somewhere in Time fan celebration weekend. Once there, he becomes attracted to local stable owner Miles Coulter. When Jordan learns the stable's in trouble, he wants to help despite Miles' resistance. As their relationship grows, he dreads the issues that face them. Can they forge a love as timeless as the romance in their favorite film? Find out in Somewhere on Mackinac by Jeff Adams. Available from DreamspinnerPress.com, Amazon.com, and other ebook retailers. So I think that'll about do it for this very interview-packed show. <laughs> We've read and seen a lot of stuff. Yes, we have. Coming up next week in episode number 95, Garrett Groves will be here as part of the 2017 GRL blog tour. I'm looking forward to that interview, Garrett. a new-to-me author. Mm -hmm. Yes, and he's new to me as well. I'm actually reading one of his novellas right this very moment. And we'll discuss that with him next week. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Yes. So guys, remember that no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter if you have a book. Until next time, guys, keep reading. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.